Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thanks again for joining me here at the back of the range. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 44. If you listened to last week's episode or you've been following us on Instagram, you'll know that North Florida beat South Florida in the Florida Cup by one point. By one bleeping point. Despite the fact that my South Florida team lost, it was quite an experience. So congrats to Captain Mark Dahl, Chip Brooks, Steve Carter, the rest of the North team. They benefited from the podcast mojo. Not exactly how we drew that up, but... Um, but still an incredible three days of golf. By the way, the Florida Cup is presented by the Florida State Golf Association. It was held at the Creek Course at Hammock Dunes Club in Palm Coast, Florida. This place was absolutely amazing. The conditions were perfect, so a tip of the hat has to go to Brad Myers, the director of golf, Matt Howes, the superintendent, and our unofficial host, Bob Campione. As I said, we are on Instagram. We're there at the Back of the Range podcast. Don't forget, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. All the links that you need are in the show notes of the episode of this podcast. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you want to learn more about the podcast in general, go ahead and head over to thebackoftherange.com. As you all know, we like to give things away here at the Back of the Range, whether it be towels or hats or drink koozies. They all have our logo on them and we want to give them out to our listeners. So leave a review in Apple Podcasts, follow us on social media channels, leave comments. We'll send you something for free. Just our little thank you for supporting the podcast. Now, I know that football is in full swing and apparently basketball is as well, which is kind of strange, but you know, there's still some interesting things happening in the world of golf. Brooks Kepka is our new number one player in the world after winning the CJ Cup over in Korea. And, you know, while Tiger, Phil, DJ, you know, the rest of the stars of the PGA Tour get most of the attention, the tour is still full of amazing and talented players. Some of them jumped straight to the PGA Tour out of college, but many of them played on developmental tours before making it to the show. Players like Austin Cook, Bubba Watson, Tim Heron, Andrew Landry, Ryan Palmer, they played the mini tours. In fact, they all played one in particular, the APT Tour. And that brings us to this week's guest. Gary DeSerrano is the founder of the APT Tour, which conducts pro tournaments in Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and yes, Kansas. The APT partners with local nonprofits to conduct professional tournaments in the Mid-South region of the United States. And in addition to raising thousands of dollars each year for charity, these events provide an avenue for professional golfers to hone their skills while preparing for life on the PGA Tour. Oh, and this episode, this one's a little bit unique because we have a special guest that appears halfway through the episode. I'll leave it as a surprise for now, but I will say this. He did graduate from the APT Tour, and he is a PGA Tour winner. So, let's get started with this week's episode. Gary, thanks so much for joining us here at the Back of the Range. So, I guess the first question I have for you is, how did you get started running a developmental golf tour? Well, first of all, thanks for having us on. And then, uh, you know, it's it was an interesting path. Um, I began in the media business uh, years ago and was very successful in sports marketing and selling sponsorships on radio and TV. And it happened to be that my youngest brother, Scott, was at Oklahoma State and doing very, very well. And in 91, was fortunate enough to win a national championship with the team. And then, like many of these pros, turned pro. Um, and we put a sponsor group together. He went to Asia, South Africa, several places all over the world, and then uh, ended up getting his Nike Tour card in 92. Um, but when he failed to get his card again in 93, and we were looking for other places to play, we just felt like a couple friends of mine said, why isn't there more opportunity for the young guys in the United States? Sure. And, that's, and that's when we decided to uh, branch off from – you know, the media business and, and look at running golf tournaments. 
when you call, when you call a golf course now, obviously you're you're incredibly well developed and and well well established with sponsors and charity involvement, with which we're going to get back get into a little bit later. But when you first start and you call up some of these golf courses or country clubs, what's your sales pitch and what's their reaction? Well, it's evolved over the years, no sure. doubt. But uh, it's it's interesting because when we call, we 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 basically say we would like to bring a professional golf tournament to their to their course, would they be interested? And the first thing they want to know is, is this a Monday or a Tuesday outing? And right. I would say, no, this is a week long event, just like a PGA tour event. So that certainly closes the door to a lot of opportunities for us, but then there are several, you know, there's enough golf around that, that most of them are looking for or know a young man that is on his way to the PGA tour and they, and they get the process and they're interested in, in learning more about what we do. And you're getting, like you said, you're getting these these college studs. You're getting maybe guys that were, you know, bouncing around the, the professional ranks and they're looking for a good place to play. What does a typical week look like for you right now? You know, you're next week, you're, or I'm sorry, in two weeks, you're going to be at the Texarkana Open, August 15th to the 18th. What does your operation look like now? What does a, a typical week um, entail? Well, I mean, if you look at a, a, a general PGA or a web.com tour event, we're very, very similar, uh, with the exception of we finish on a Saturday. Uh, but really, Mondays are practice rounds, special events. Uh, we've arrived a day earlier to begin setting up. Um, Tuesdays are pro-am days. Some are, are larger than others, but usually we have a double wave of, of pro-am, just like a PGA event. And then our first round of the golf tournament begins on Wednesday. And just like a PGA event, we have morning tee times, afternoon tee times. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, the first two rounds, we make a cut. And then Friday and Saturday are the final two rounds, just like you would see on TV. Um, and the reason we finish on Saturday is that most of these young guys like to go to Monday qualifiers. Sure. And it provides them an opportunity to do some travel on Saturday, practice rounds on Sunday, and then try their Monday uh, qualifier. And, you know, for most people that follow golf, they know that there are several uh, players that, that have made it through the mini tours or developmental tours, get to the web, they get to the PGA tour. Um, and we hear all about their war stories, whether it's the, you know, driving nine hours and, uh, you know, sleeping in their car. You know, we know about what the player's perspective is, but what about you? What are, what have been some of the biggest challenges or maybe just, uh, you know, weeks or, or situations that you've come across that most people wouldn't think of when they think of these tours, you're coming at it from the completely different angle from a player. What have been some of your challenges over the years? Well, I mean, there's, there's several challenges and, and the biggest is scheduling is, is what is going to optimize the field strength and the field for our local groups that are helping us run these tournaments. And what we found over the last few years is that the closer we are to a Monday qualifier, the closer we are to a, a mondayweb.com qualifier it really helps amplify the strength of the field and the size of the field so you know with that being said it's not easy to work with the local communities because sponsors have certain time frames that they want to run events courses have certain time frames and yet the pga tour has their own schedule so getting those all coordinated seems to be the biggest challenge every year and the pga tour while it stays pretty static the web.com tour changes quite a bit week to week so um you know each year we wait for the web.com schedule to come out and then we try to put these put these entities together and see if they all meld you know i've, I've been doing a little bit of research and, and kind of looking at winning scores and and looking at the numbers that your guys are shooting um like for example you just had last gosh last week you have the bogey hills invitational in st charles missouri and I just pulled up, I mean, obviously the name Scotty Scheffler just jumps right out, you know, played at Texas. He's a former U.S. junior amateur champion, uh, you know, All-American. And he goes out and he's 15 under for four rounds. The worst round he shoots is 69. Can you speak to just how good the players are on your tour and how close they are to breaking through? Uh, Scotty's a quality golfer and we're happy to have him out, especially since he just turned pro. Um, yeah. And, and he played very well and he still lost by seven shots right. to the two gentlemen that tied and we're in a playoff. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really amazing on how many young guys that are not on tour that are of a caliber that everybody would think would be there and be on the PGA tour. Um, ben Burns last, I mean, excuse me, um, 
Sam Burns last year turned professional. His first tournament was actually our event in Brownwood. He shot 29 under and he lost by one shot um, to a young man out of Arkansas. So good golf is, is everywhere. It's just a matter of whether these guys can find their way or get a little bit of luck to get through qualifying school and get onto the PGA Tour. Uh, we've got Walker Cup players like Scotty, and then we've got guys like BJ State who've been on and off the PGA and the web.com sure. over the last you know, 10, 15 years. So when you put all of that together, I mean, the fields are tremendously strong, and it's just a matter of time before we see the, the guys move on to the next level. And, and I guess, you know, you've been, you've been around this, uh, for, for many years, you've seen just, I can't imagine how many guys you've seen come through in and out, either stay for a couple of years or you never hear from them again. But I know this is kind of hard to pinpoint, but is there one characteristic other than the play? Uh, cause it sounds like there's just a truckload of guys that can just go low every single week, but is there a characteristic that maybe you see? From tour stop to tour stop, they're like, wow, that guy's kind of got something that some of the other guys don't. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm asked every year by Callaway and Titleist and several of these manufacturers who who we think might be the next guy. And it almost seems like we're 50-50 on yeah. whether we pick a guy making it or not. Um, um, Trackman was just recently out of our last tournament, and they were doing club head speed and ball speed analysis of the players on our tour. And every time I would talk to them, they would say, listen, these, these are, these are on the top 10%, 15% on the PGA tour, as far as numbers. So ball striking for the guys is really not a lot different between our top players and guys that are on tour. I think the biggest difference is, is the putting and the wedge game. The, the, the pros at this level, I think what's holding them back a little bit is that area of golf. And when you see, the pros on the PGA Tour getting it up and down from 100 yards 50% of the time, 60% of the time. I think that's where the difference lies with these younger guys and the guys that are on the tour. Like you said, it's just such a fine line. You just mentioned Sam Burns. I mean, you, you said last year he starts as a professional and he, you know, he played with Tiger at the Honda Classic this year. And and you're you're seeing that just this fine line of where these how these guys make and how they don't. You know, you've been in this situation where you see some of these guys year in year out. Have there been times where you've kind of wanted to put your arm around a guy and say, you know, hey, you know, maybe this isn't for you? Well, we do that a lot, and, okay. and we do and we do it mainly with parents and the players themselves. I mean, we basically will talk to them and say, listen, here's the performance you you've been putting up and here's here's what it takes to make even make the cut and it's a very expensive proposition yeah uh, not being on the pga tour so uh, we always it, we're a family-owned business and i've had a younger brother that's gone through the process so i have a little more empathy than maybe some other folks are out there that are in the business that we understand is expensive and sometimes you just need to have a reality check with the player and say, listen, I think there's other ways for you to see if you can prepare yourself. And if things go better, then come back out here and test the waters again. Wow. But we've, we've had a lot of players that, uh, Oh, I'd have to say weren't quite talented enough, had plenty of money, but it weren't quite talented enough and just never really ever made a cut or made any money. It's a true testament to, to the organization, the business that you're running. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you're, you are running a business. You, you need to, you know, you need to make money to take care of your family. And I was just kind of curious, you know, how do you keep the distance emotionally when, you know, your, your heart goes out to these guys who are trying to chase a dream, but you may be the one that has to sit them down or, or, you know, explain that to them. Um, so transitioning from that, give me an idea, or can you think of a guy that you just thought was absolutely going to make it at least move out of your tour to either the Nike or web or whatever it's been called through the years. But is there a guy or a handful of guys that you can think of off the top of your head that you really thought were going to make it and just didn't? Well, I mean, there's, there's been many years when I was thinking that this, this young guy is a sure thing and certainly should make it. Um, you know, I've seen kids that, that came out of big schools, whether it was Oklahoma state, Texas, uh, Waco's pumping out a great, a, a large number of good players right now. Um, Pepperdine, Northwestern, and you would just, you'd look at their college resume and you go, there's absolutely no way he can't make it to the next level. And they just 
don't seem to find a way. And what we found is that a lot of times it always came easy for them. And then when they get to this level and they play with young guys that are either younger than them or older than them, but are very, very good players. Sometimes it's a little bit of a shock to their system that they've never heard of these people. And yeah. all of a sudden they're being beat by them. So sometimes it's mentally a, a, a little bit of a challenge and, and it's tough for them to get over. Yeah. And then I guess conversely, obviously, um, you know, can you think of a guy that maybe you just didn't see a whole lot out of when they're on your tour and now you're like, wow, that guy's on the web or wow, that guy made it to the PGA tour that just maybe, maybe that surprised you. You know, I, I would say Andrew Landry was a very good player here. Um, he won once. He finally won after a few years. And there has been many a times that I had hear, heard him and his mother talking about how much longer he was going to try and wow. whether he could do it. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it just clicked. He made it to the web, won a few web events, and now he's done very, very well on the PGA Tour. Um, Austin Cook played here. Austin is a winner on the PGA Tour. Um, he didn't win here, but he was a solid player, and we knew he was a good player. But you just you just don't know if that's going to be transposed to the next level, and obviously it has. Yeah. Um, and then Bryce Garnett, who hopefully we'll talk to a little bit later today, um, same situation. Came out of Missouri, small school, and uh, played pretty well at first and then all of a sudden it just started to click for him and he got better every single time we saw him he won in baton rouge and then moved on up to the web and, and now the pga tour is a winner so it's we've seen a lot of good young men learn how to be a professional and that's really what we're all about is hopefully developing them from college to the professional level so that they're successful you know, you're not just sending guys out to go play three rounds of golf and that's it. You're putting, sounds like you're putting together a, a complete tour experience, whether it's pro-ams, whether it's the practice rounds, especially getting involved with charities. What's been one of the most rewarding, one of your tour stops that maybe wasn't on your radar or something that's really flourished over the last several years where you've really gotten in close with the community? You know, they can't wait for you to come back every year. I know it's going to be hard to pick just one, but can can you give an example of one of those communities that you've really touched uh, as far as one of their local charities? Well, I mean, we've each the charities do change a little bit in each market. Sometimes the boards change, but I'd, I'd have to say the community that that is really looks forward to us coming back. And there's a lot of them, but the one that really has been impactful was Homa, Louisiana. It's a small city southwest of New Orleans. Um, and, you know, the claim to fame for that tournament was Bubba Watson played there in 2005. And here was this left-handed kid that hit it forever and nobody knew who he was and came out, shot a course record after two rounds, blew away the tournament record, won by five or six shots. And since that point, this community has said, this is why we want to do this is because we're going to help these young guys make it. Now, Bubba went on and to you know, to be one of the best players on the PGA Tour, winning a few Masters. But at the same time, at that time, nobody knew that that of was going to happen. Yeah. But when you see a young guy come out and excel and then go on to the next level and do very well, that's when it really excites our local communities. That's great. Yeah, you've had, gosh, just, just by looking on your website and seeing your the, the bio that you've provided, and I will definitely put a link to the, your website on uh, during the in the show notes of this podcast, you know, Mark Hensby and, and Tim Heron. Oh, please tell me you have a good Tim Heron story. Please tell me you have a good Tim Heron story. <laughs> Lumpy was here a long yes, time ago. Lumpy. So, yeah. So uh, he, he liked to drink a little bit, no. uh, played a lot of golf. But I will say this. He was probably the most naturally talented, one of the most naturally talented guys, probably until Bubble came out. Uh, just, you know, not didn't come out. He wasn't a physically fit guy compared to a lot of these young guys. And, um, he just is a found specimen. a way to, he is a physical is. specimen now. He is. And he's one of the funnier guys that's come out of here. There's no, there's no doubt about it. He definitely had a sense of humor, uh, a little bit of a prankster every once in a while, but he definitely had a lot of fun and was a good golfer one several times. Sure. Did, did, I, I could just like, if I was setting the T sheet, I would put every young gun hotshot coming in for their first time, uh, playing a professional tour event. I would put them at Tim Heron and just sit back and laugh and laugh and laugh and watch this guy just take them to school. Um, 
but that's probably why you run your tour and I don't run it. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you got Cameron Beckman, you know, Ryan Palmer, you know, solid guy out of Texas. And then, I mean, these are just names, you know, Sean Stephanie played there and you just have a, you have a great track record of graduating these players and it's a fascinating business model. Like you, you really don't want, or correct me if I'm wrong, but you really don't want guys hanging out on your tour for years and years and years, do you? You want to get them in and get them out. Well, we do. And, you know, one of the favorite things I love to say to these young guys, especially when they go Monday qualify and they're, we always recognize them when they do <clears throat> is I hope, I hope not to see you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we say that in a, in a loving way that we, we wish them luck. We want them to move on and we want them to remember their time here, but remember that they don't want to be here. Sure. Exactly. So you make it comfortable. You make that make it as convenient as possible. You try and build them up, but ultimately you want to get them out of there. We do. Yeah. We do. And, you know, we've had some, you know, some young guys that it just, it started, it started to click. And, you know, last year, um, one of Jordan Spieth's roommates, uh, Kramer Hickok mm -hmm. was struggling, asked Jordan from some, some advice and uh, it seemed to work. And he won an event of ours in May in Baton Rouge, went on and had qualified for Canada, won two events in Canada. And now he's on the web.com and he's near the top 25 to get his PGA card the next year. So you just never know how quickly it's going to happen for a young guy. And I remember Kramer was struggling before that. So it wasn't like he was out here uh, winning a lot. It was just, he was struggling, got some advice. It happened. And then he's moved on. And every time I see him, I say, I hope not to see you anymore. Yeah. And he, he giggles and laughs when, when we do say that. Yeah. A, yeah. It sounds like that's the common theme. That's great. Um, so I, I know you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be a proud papa of these guys and you're going to be a little bit biased, but if I took the top 25 or let's see, if I put a maybe like the top 12 guys on your tour right now against maybe the top 12 guys on the web.com tour and sent them out and did a Ryder cup match. How close is that going to be? I'm going to say it's going to be pretty close. Um, and I'm just asking it to illustrate to the people listening that, you know, they may have the, the mindset of what a mini tour is, but these guys are, are truly, they're right there, aren't they? Well, they are. I mean, the, the guy that's number two on our money list had a full status on the web.com for three years. So Daniel's since lost his card and, and now he's trying to earn it back and he's doing very well this year. So Daniel's been out there. Josh Creel's won several times and he's been on and off the web.com and he's played, uh, I think he played around eight events last year. So the difference is not going to be a lot. Now I will say, you know, the guys at the top of the web.com are, are studs. There's no doubt about oh, it. Yeah. That's why they're going to be on the PGA tour. So I'd have to say in a match play situation, it'd be pretty close, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certain that the web guys would probably come out on top. Maybe let's call it six to five. Now I know a tour of your size can sometimes be referred to as a mini tour, but you prefer to label it and promote it and treat it as a developmental tour. Can you think of uh, an example of not just players that graduate and move on, but an example of how they develop while they're on your tour and how they grow as professionals? Well, one of the things that I that really struck home for me sure. this last week <clears throat> was, you know, we are a developmental tour, and, and what you want is you want these young guys learning from from their experiences. And one of the things that was really rewarding last week at the Bogey Hills tournament was Michael Martinson, who had been leading since I believe the second round and playing outstanding. I mean, the members were commenting on how perfect he was playing. There was just no mistakes. Um, he came down to the last two holes and Charlie Holland was playing well himself on the last day and putting pressure on him. And Michael, bogey the 17th and then he hit his drive too far into into a waterfall on the 18th recovered with a bogey but had to go into a playoff and you could see the tremendous disappointment on his face after he putted out on the 72nd hole yet he was able to gather himself go to the 18th again hit the proper shot off the tee hit a perfect uh, second shot just below the hole and make a birdie to win in the first hole of the playoff. And I asked him afterwards, 
I, I said, you know, you were playing so well. And then the last two holes, you had this adversity where you all of a sudden, it just kind of fell apart and you allowed somebody to tie you and go into a playoff. I said, so how did you feel after you were able to birdie the last hole? And he said, it was just so rewarding to know that I had gone through, you know, two tough holes, allowed myself to let the tournament get away from me. And then yet, hit a good shot and make a putt to win the tournament. And he says, that's all you can ask for in, in golf is to try to have that opportunity. So, you know, teaching these young guys to deal with adversity and then turn it around and make a positive out of it where you could see a lot of young guys, it, make, it goes the opposite way. They get into the playoff and then, then they bogey the hole and then they lose the tournament. And sure. it just, it doesn't go well. So that just to me was, was a great way, great illustration of, what this tour is all about is teaching them how to take adversity and turn it into a positive. You know, you're preparing these guys for, for playing, uh, for playing at the next level. But one of the things it looks like you're also doing is you're getting them used to, uh, like you said, adversity right there. And, and also maybe talking to the media where you're asking them to, to recount and talk about their experiences. Um, you know, other than the playing, is is that something that you're actively trying to do as well, where you're trying to teach them how to be a professional and not just shooting scores? Well, yes, absolutely. And a lot of it comes from college. And some of the kids that come from the large colleges, they they've been they got it. They've they've been asked questions by the medium before, and especially a Scotty Scheffler, who's been you know in the Walker Cup. The, right. There's a big media coverage there, but for the most part, I mean, if you look at top to bottom, the players that are out here. A lot of them have not had a lot of opportunity to visit with media. And one of the biggest educations is you're leading a tournament and you don't play great. And yet still the media wants to talk to you afterwards and say, tell us about your round and, and how you struggled today. Um, you see it all the time on the PGA Tour. And you just parents of these young guys just hope that when the microphone is put in their face that they, you know, they say the right things. And that's really one another education piece for them is dealing with the media, dealing with sponsors, dealing with pro-am questions. Um, it really helps them prepare for when they don't play well or play well on the PGA tour and they get that, they get that question. Yeah. And, and how do you help them? Um, you know, how do you get attention to your players? Cause you know, you're, you're running this great organization and, and, you know, do you do player features or do you do things that kind of maybe the, the, the community locally can kind of get behind one of the guys and they can learn how to follow them online or they can, you know, get some personal bio information. How, how do you help cultivate your, your cast of characters, so to speak? Well, that that's one of the difficult things is when we, we do visit with a the community, they always want to know if we have any recognizable names. Yeah. names. And the, the tough thing is, unless they're from that area, it's it's going to be tough to, to, to know. Sometimes when you're playing in Oklahoma and you have an Oklahoma State or Oklahoma grad, it's, it's easier. But, you know, the thing I always tell them is, listen, most of the kids on this tour, and I call them kids, they're quite a bit younger than me. Um, most of these young guys have a very nice resume from college golf. And they wouldn't be out here trying to play professional golf and get to the PGA tour unless they had talent. So, and then the other thing is I, I, I just go over the scores that they've been shooting and say, you know, we've got a Josh Creel who has played two tournaments in a row and one at 26 under and one at 22 under. And they all of a sudden go, Oh wow, these guys can play. This is not just a so-called mini tour. This is a, a group of young guys that are probably on their way to the, to the next level. So it, once the scores is in the track record for us has helped too. I mean, when you get the names of guys that have graduated, it certainly helps us get the conversation started about what we can do in their community. Sure. Well, Gary, you, you mentioned that, you know, you mentioned a lot of these great names that have moved on from uh, your tour uh, to to higher ranks, Webb and, and PGA. You mentioned Andrew Landry. You mentioned uh, Austin Cook. And you alluded to Bryce Garnett that might be joining us. And, well, this is a first time for us. We have two people on the line. So, Bryce Garnett, PGA Tour winner, welcome to the back of the range. Hey, thanks for having <laughs> me. I'm uh, looking forward to talking about some golf. Yeah, I, I was kind of, when I was preparing for for today and to discuss uh, the APT with both of you, I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of like bringing you back for your 10-year high school reunion back to the APT to just remember <laughs> some old war stories. Um, I, I know you have a lot of web events and a lot of uh, a PGA Tour a PGA Tour victory to your credit, but 
you're also the 20, 2010 Mary Bird Perkins Open champion. Uh, does that <laughs> ring a bell at all? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget that week. At, uh, I believe the golf course was Santa Maria. There in, yes, it uh, was. In Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It, uh, I felt like it was a week that it had you know, been coming for a couple, three years, and I, I couldn't ever close the door. And, um, you know, it got off to a good start uh, that week, I remember. A uh, couple, a uh, couple sixty sevens, I believe, and then uh, you know, just my time to punch, punch the ticket, and uh, it was fun. Week I'll never forget. Actually, uh, my first professional win ever. So wow, yeah. So you went to Missouri Western State. You were a three time uh, D two All American. When you were deciding to turn pro, what was it that really attracted you to the Adams Pro Tour? Because I know you played there for. I know you played a little bit off and on, but it looks like um, you know you had several full seasons. But, um, you know, what attracted you to that tour immediately? Yeah, I, you know, I didn't even know anything about professional golf uh, when I was in college, to be honest. I knew there was, you know, the PGA Tour, of course. Um, you know, I was somewhat familiar with the Nationwide Tour at the time. And then I, I had no understanding of, you know, the lower-ranking tours across the country. Um, and I think it was about maybe my senior year around Christmas break, my dad, um, you know, had mentioned to me, about playing golf after uh, college, and you know why not? Sure. Know, I love the sport, and uh, to go compete, compete more. You know my competing days wouldn't be done, and um, I wasn't ready to do anything in a bank with my finance degree. So, uh, <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily, you know I had uh, ten, fifteen guys around Northwest Missouri uh, put some money behind me, and um, you know we kind of weighed out our options and. Uh, I think at the time it was kind of between the Adams and the Hooters tour. Um, Matt, the Adams was a little bit closer to home. I, it was uh, a little bit easier for me to drive to events. You know, I, I can't remember the, the, the entry fees might've been a little bit cheaper. Um, I knew the competition was still great and uh, we decided to go there and I'm uh, really happy I did. I mean, I wouldn't change anything, um, change anything for the world now. Well, and, you know, for, for those that want to get to the level that you're at on the PGA Tour, you know, there's a lot of people listening that are either collegiate players or they're, they're um, you know, looking to make that move. You obviously have to shoot the scores to, to move up the ranks, but what were some of the things that you learned while you were on the, the APT to become a professional? I know, you know, everyone has to shoot in the 60s and you got to win, but what were the traits that you picked up to, to turn this into your, your livelihood and your career? Well, I think, you know, in high school, um, I, I had a, a good high school and junior career, but once I got to college, I was able to spend more time and focus on my game. And then even that after college, you know, once, once you turn professional, um, you just get that extra time and that focus into, you know, what you're trying to achieve. And uh, I remember my dad telling me when I first started, he said, look, you're not going to be the best player out there. Um, you're going to, you're going to get beat up pretty good, but you know, don't let anybody outwork you. Um, try to get better every day and just stay patient with it. And, you know, I don't think there's any time frame uh, for professional golfers coming out of, out of uh, college. You know, some guys jump on the tour that are phenoms and then, you know, sometimes you gotta, gotta work your way up through the rankings and, um, you know, just through the Adams tour, it just taught me about being patient, um, taught me how to persevere through, through tougher times. You know, many tour guys, I think have some of the best stories in professional golf that don't get told. Um, you know, as far as, as cashing a paycheck to, sure. you know, play the following week or fill the car up with gas or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of perseverance there, um, for a lot of guys and, um, you know, a lot of patience as well. So, you know, it just taught me a lot about, uh, digging deep and, and finding out if I truly love the game. And, uh, I think the Adams tour is probably where I deeply fell in love with, um, the grind of professional golf. Well, wow, that's a that's a pretty big statement right there because if you're if you're loving it on on a developmental tour, then you must really love this. And from what you're saying, it wasn't your first thought coming out of college. So, <laughs> um, I just jotted this down uh, last night. I was thinking to myself that where your professional career started and where it has gone, um, <laughs> Gary. So I got I got to ask Bryce this. You know, Bryce, what? What was the worst hotel situation you ever had when you were playing the development tours compared to the best hotel situation you've had on the PGA tour? <laughs> well, I, 
I always joke and tell people that, uh, you know, the mini tours and Adams tour days, uh, were the most fun I've had traveling. Um, just because of the camaraderie, you know, everybody's there, you know, trying to achieve the same thing. Um, you're bunking up three to a room. Uh, you're, you're never eating a meal alone. You're always, you know, with your, with your buddies or fellow competitors. And just kind of, as you move up through the ranks, uh, that camaraderie just kind of goes down. Uh, more families start to travel, more coaches, more entourages. Um, but I remember, uh, we were in, I think it was, uh, maybe Delhi, Louisiana. Uh, the golf course was black there, maybe, um, great golf course, not much in the city. Um, of course, you know, staying with my counterparts, uh, Brett Callis and Ryan Boccia and Robert Gwynn, those guys. And, uh, we were at this hotel that was just, it was literally a roach infested hotel. We, uh, we would walk outside and you could just hear you would, you were just stepping on, uh, roaches and it was just a crunching, constant crunching noise oh. of roaches. And, um, you know, we laugh about it. It's something that, uh, none of us will forget. And, uh, you know, you stay at, stay at some nice resorts on tour and uh, quickly remind you of, of why you work so hard uh, throughout the years, getting to where you want to get. Sure. What was the most fun celebration after an Adams pro tour victory? Compare that to maybe like, you know, what, what did you do after you won the, the, uh, the Perkins open? What did you do after you, you won uh, the, the believers, the corral? Yeah. The, what did you do after when the, the corral is Punta Cana resort? Both entailed um, some adult beverages out of the uh, trophy. Attaboy. Uh, so, yeah, I remember the following week after uh, the Baton Rouge when we were in um, Holland, Louisiana, uh, I would stay with uh, the tournament director and a good friend, uh, Brett Cuneo. Um, and we would uh, set out on his back patio and we had, he did a crawfish boil and uh, poured, poured a six pack of beer in the trophy and we each kind of passed it around. And, you know, honestly, that's what, uh, that's what I did with, with the, uh, the, the bigger crystal trophy that I won, we put, we put a drink in there and was back home with my buddies in Northwest Missouri and we passed it around and, uh, just had a big time because, you know, you're not in this professional golf thing alone. And, uh, so many people are behind you and, um, you know, make sacrifices for you to get where you want to get. Uh, you just want to enjoy those, uh, sweet moments and memories with them as well. Sure. Um, I mentioned to Gary earlier and, uh, and, and, Gary really uh, uh, spoke highly of the the caliber of play on the developmental developmental tours. You know, I just recently looked, and you know, Tyler McCumber, uh, you know, won twenty five under in, in PGA Tour Canada last week, and actually Martin Trainer did the same thing on the web. Twenty five under was the winning score. Uh, you know, just how good are these developmental tours and the and the players on those tours? How what is the fine line to to reach the PGA Tour for people that are listening that don't know who's on some of these tours? I mean, you you graduated from there, you've been there, you you've reached the PGA Tour. How fine is the line? It's nuts. It's the the, the scores that are being shot um, across all levels of professional golf is just it's mind blowing. Um, you know, I still have a lot of friends uh, on the Adams and Webb, and uh, you know, so I keep keep in touch with the, the scores and. Um, I'll tell a quick story. I remember my first event as a professional in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, I've had a good college career. I'd won 12 times and uh, sh- shoot 71 the first day, one under, thinking, all right, not a, not a bad start to my professional career. Sure. Um, I get in, get done, and I look at the scoreboard, and there's a 61, 2, and 3. <laughs> and so I'm Ooh. 10 shots back already. And uh, I remember you know, calling home, calling dad and saying, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. You know, I don't, these guys are a lot better than I am or a lot better than I thought that they would be. Um, and so it's just weird, you know, guys, uh, do it so many different ways. And you see on the PGA tour, um, different swings, you see perfect swings, you see homemade swings. Um, so it just comes down to just getting a break, catching a break and playing good golf at the right time. And, um, you know, for me, I was, oh, I got extremely lucky, uh, when I, I, I got on the web.com tour, wasn't ready for it, played poorly, um, was kind of kicked back to the mini tours and I had a, a really good run of Monday qualifying in 2011. Um, my dad, I was traveling home. My dad had said, 
hey, why don't you give it one more try? It's an $80 flight to Nashville. You can go try to Monday qualify in Chattanooga. Um, and at, at this time, I was really exhausted. I was tired. I was going to focus on uh, Q school. Um, but I thought for 80 bucks, why not? Sure. Went to Chattanooga, Monday qualified again, and ended up finishing second for the week. Um, and that was enough money to go ahead and give me, you know, my full status uh, for the following year in 2012. So, you know, it's things like that. It's just uh, catching a break or, you know, making a putt um, at the right time and then uh, just kind of parlaying that into into the full year. You, you mentioned, I, I just picked up something you just mentioned there. You said you, you went to the web, you weren't ready. In what way were you not ready? And it, maybe this is not so much with, with you, but just in general, when you see these guys go up one step, then maybe back one, then back up again. What's the what's the thing that you're not finding or you found that you weren't able to compete against these guys on the web? Was it the play? Was it just the travel? Can you pinpoint anything that maybe? Yeah, just- I, so I think I wasn't mature. I wasn't mature enough in my golfing like sense as far as uh, course management, sure. uh, understanding different situations. Um, and, you know, the travel, the travel did take a, a different toll on my body. You know, I wasn't used to um, as much travel as I as I was on the Adams at that time I was playing maybe two or three weeks in a row and then having a week or two off. Um, so the travel was definitely different, but you know, I think my mindset, I'm not sure. Um, and then, you know, I just, I wasn't mature enough with my course management and understanding, you know, it's a process and it's a year long process. Um, or it's a lifelong process for that matter of just trying to get better. Um, and just put yourself in the position to have a chance to win. And, uh, that that first year on the web.com tour, I wasn't ready. And, uh, you know, I think, I think I learned a lot and, you know, helped prepare me for, you know, the situation I'm in right now. Sure. No, that's, that's, that's great. Um, Gary, I was going to ask a question. I'm not sure if Bryce, you want to hang on here just to kind of listen to it. But the, the, the quick question I was going to ask was, you know, you mentioned just, or, you know, what Bryce just mentioned about trying to be prepared for that next level and get used to course management. I know you're limited on the courses that you get for your tournaments, but do you, do you go, do you think about course setup and how to make that course just as tough as possible, not just to prepare them for that tournament, but also prepare them for down the line? Well, we do. And, and we've done a better job over the last probably 10 years and picking golf courses that are not necessarily the same. Um, we play golf courses that are 7,500 yards where you can smash it. And then we play some golf courses that are 6,800 that are tight. And you've got to move the ball left and right. So we've done a very good job of, of changing things up. And I think what you see when you see the different winners out here on tour now is you see different types of players winning because their game suits certain golf course. But most of the people on our staff have been either players or have uh, have been around professional golf as a caddy and it, it it generally helps us understand what is really needed and hopefully we can set up golf courses to challenge the guys and and get them ready for the next level obviously the golf course conditions for us are a little bit different than the pga tour sure. and the web.com uh, because we kind of have to deal with what we have when we get there but we've we have such facilities now that most of the time we're at pretty good conditions I wanted to, uh, Bryce, give you the opportunity before I ask Gary this question, but uh, Bryce, can you give me a good Gary DeSerrano story from the Adams Pro Tour? <laughs> and I'm going to have him see if he can give me a good Bryce on that story. Oh, man. I always tell people, um, you know, when they ask me about places to play or, or where I started, and uh, I always, you know, we I revert back to, shoot, I don't know, 2000. Seven, maybe. Um, the Adams Tour had been bought out by uh, another tour. Um, and I remember, uh, signing up and, and playing a couple of events, um, and then that tour going under, uh, and then, and then Gary started back the Adams tour and we, he would try to guarantee money at the beginning of the year. Um, and just sometimes the numbers that didn't add up or they don't add up. And, um, you know, one thing about the Adams tour and Gary DeSerrano is that checks were always mailed out or they always cashed, um, so he's just a, such a, a stand-up guy. And even if he couldn't guarantee the money, uh, you know, we still had the events. Might have played for a little bit less money, um, but we were still getting paid. And, um, I think for many tour golf, that is a huge aspect. Yeah. And, um, when you play the Adams Tour, uh, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get 
a good golf course, a great staff, um, and you're going to get a paycheck at the end of the week. And, um, you know, there's not much more you can ask for in developmental golf. No, that's uh, very well said. Now, Gary, don't let, don't let Bryce distract you from telling a marginally embarrassing story about his early years. Don't, don't fall for that. So if you got one good, a good one about him, you know, maybe missing a tea time or sleeping in or getting lost on the way to the golf course, feel free to, to, to drop that one. It's fine. So don't get distracted. Well, I mean, I, I don't have any of those funny stories about Bryce because he was, uh, he was pretty professional when he played, but I will say this. One of the things is, especially when the young guys come out of college is, is they, they don't really, they don't seem comfortable around sponsors or at parties or the other things that go along with being a professional golfer. It's easy to play golf, right? I mean, you just tee it up, you go hit it and find it and hopefully you have the lowest score. But one thing that Bryce always got was he understood that there was more to tournaments and to what went on than just the playing golf itself. He understood the, the relationship with a pro-am team with maybe getting to know the sponsors or the tournament directors and thanking them. So he, he was really good about that. And, you know, he, he mentioned stories about some of these people he, he have known like Brett Cunio down in home. I mean, these are lifelong friends that he's got and that we all have from putting on these tournaments. And Bryce was one of the guys that every time we, we're asked, who, who do you hope makes it? Who do you think is going to make it? He was one of the guys that we always said, he's going to make it, and he's one of the best guys in the world. And it's evident coming on and doing this and some of the other things that we've asked of him and some and Ryan Palmer and a few other guys that have been, just been great guys. Um, some of the guys that did make it, we've got some great stories about, but we'll, we'll keep those for another for another time. Done. Absolutely. Um, there, there's probably too many too many other stories for him to remember that's, you know, Oh yeah. Well, Gary, Gary's being Bryce. Gary's being a little too nice. Cause I, I told him like, Hey, you know, this isn't live. I'm going to edit stuff out. And he, I keep, I'm trying to get him to give me, you know, some dirt. I don't actually, I don't even want a name. Actually, I don't, yeah. See, I don't need a name. I just, can you think of Bryce just like a story about someone that you're just shaking your head? Like, man, this guy's just never like, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't want a name. I don't want to out anyone, but many tours are um, always good. Yeah, I remember. I think it was Texarkana, Texarkana, Arkansas, or Texas. I don't know <laughs> which one it is, but uh, it's not Delaware. We were, uh, I think we had uh, a player meeting there one time, and um, it might have been a player meeting where Gary got everybody together and said, "Look, I can't, I can't keep guaranteeing these purses. You know, if we want to keep playing, we're, we're going to have to lower the the purse amount." And um, I remember a a guy i think he was australian guy shows up to the tur- to the meeting or whatever and he he had about a bottle of whiskey no lie i mean he was he was gone about about as drunk as i've seen anybody and uh you know he comes in there raising hell and and running his mouth and i think he ended up in uh in the jail cell that night but oh, nice. uh, yeah you know the the the, the mini tour days those are the uh the times you can laugh about now Sure. Well, I'm going to elaborate on that because I do remember that. Oh, okay. I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but nope, it nope. was it was uh, it was a tough meeting for the tour because we were struggling at the time, and you know a lot of guys like Bryce and other folks that, that the players that understood the game were understanding. And this young guy had he drank quite a bit, and uh, he did get thrown in jail that night. He was he was drinking all day with a with a house with a group he was staying with a uh, private housing. Yet we did have a tournament the next day, and Bryce, I don't know if you remember this, but that same player, while he was very sick on the golf course, I'm, I'm going to say every other third tee, he would put a peg in the ground and he wouldn't keep his breakfast down. <laughs> and yet he still shot, he still shot 66 that day. I do remember somehow, that. somehow, um, great player, fiery young guy and, uh, you know, boisterous and, but, uh, you know, that's, that's one of them, you know, that's... well, the only other, the only other one that I can think of is that Ryan Palmer is not a very good karaoke singer. He oh. tried to do, he tried to do his best in Tupelo, Mississippi one time. And it just, uh, it was very funny, 
but I'm going to say he's he's got a better career on the PGA Tour than he did at singing. <laughs> okay, so he is not going to be on The Voice. He's just going to be on the PGA Tour. Well, there's there's worse things to say about Ryan Palmer. So um, absolutely. Well, Bryce, I know that you have to take off. I do appreciate the time. Maybe next year we can have you on for a full episode here at the back of the range. Um, in the meantime, best of luck the rest of the season. And again, thanks for coming on the back of the range. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. I enjoyed it, and I'll definitely uh, catch up with you next year if you want to. And good to chat with you, Gary. Gary, I can't thank you enough for getting uh, getting Bryce Garnett here on for this episode. Man, he really is as advertised, as you said. Absolutely. Yeah, he he's he is one of the good dudes. Um, you know, he he was very good to sponsors, and I will tell you this: it, my wife and I. This is really why it's it's real rewarding for us is that you know you get these young guys that are great guys and my wife and i were vacationing in palm springs and it was right before the pga event was playing at pga west and i'm in the golf cart we're about to go play a practice just a fun round with my wife and i was like i recognize that guy over there look looking and then also i said that's bryce yeah walk over there and then what do i do it's it's bryce garnett and his caddy chris callis whose brother played out here for many, many years right. and didn't, never made it. Great guy. And Bryce was in the process of practicing, getting ready and playing a practice round before he went over to Hawaii. And he said, and he, he spoke to my wife and I for probably 30 minutes. And that's one of the reasons that we do this is that the good guys move on. And But he, he's so generous with his time. I mean, he didn't have to stand around and talk to us for that long. No. But he did. And it was really refreshing to hear how he was doing and how excited he was about the season and, you know well gary i really do appreciate the time thanks so much for joining us here at the back of the range golf podcast special thanks to getting bryce garnett on for this episode that was a very very cool and unexpected treat we will definitely put the links to the apt tour in the show notes of this podcast we will speak about it more often because clearly the stars of the uh, the pga tour are coming out of these developmental tours and uh, none more so than than the APT tour. So I greatly appreciate the time. Ben, thanks so much for the time. I look forward to uh, listening. And there you have it. Another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to Gary DeSerrano, the founder of the APT tour, and our special guest, Bryce Garnett. He is a graduate of the APT tour, playing in the PGA tour. So look out for him. We'll see you again next week for another episode here at the back of the range.